world, and welcome to another episode of the South African Spies podcast. Today, we will be starting a new segment called the Bramdo Bites, and joining me on the segment will be my favorite co-host, and that is, of course, my husband, Mikhail. Hi, Mickey. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the South African Spies podcast. It's good to have you here. Thank you. So let's get started by getting to know you a little bit better. Um, Mickey, would you please tell us more about yourself? So I am an Indian male born in Durban, South Africa, and at a very young age moved to Johannesburg, where I was raised for the majority of my life. Now I live in the Netherlands. I am the eldest of three siblings, two younger sisters, and we were raised by a mostly single mother. Okay, cool. So, Mickey, tell me, what do you do for work? So, I am a engineer. I studied engineering at university, and I am now practicing as a structural engineer. I did so in South Africa, and I am still doing structural engineering in the Netherlands. And what made you decide to go into structural engineering? So being an Indian in South Africa, I had very limited choices given to me from my parents and guardians. And those choices were engineering, law, doctor, and accountant. And me being a fan of Formula One, I decided I want to be like the guys I see on TV and um, build Formula One cars. So I decided to do engineering. And once I started it, I realized mechanical engineering is not really for me. And I made the move to structural engineering. And now you design beautiful industrial structures instead that we are able to drive past and see all around Joburg. Yes. Well, now all around the world. Well, yeah, now, <laughs> now more around the world. Yes. But that was the appeal to me was being able to see the the things that I design in the real world. Can you perhaps share with us any details you may have about your family heritage? Unfortunately, I don't know much about my extended heritage all I know is that both my parents were from Durban. And as far as I know, their parents were South African born as well. And further back than that, I'm not entirely sure. So you don't know what generation South African Indian you are? No, I was never told. It was never a subject that was told as part of storytelling in our house, so it never occurred to me to find out until now. Um, so we say until now because we've actually tried to look up the Bramdo surname to figure out, you know, kind of where it is linked back to. And surprise, surprise, we did not manage to link the actual, well, our spelling of the surname back to India or any Indian country for that matter. Yeah. So the website that we looked at involved looking at your surname and it kind of gave you what your where it traces back to and how many people have that surname according to the latest census data that it had and what came about from that search was that 
the Brando surname was predominantly in South Africa, and it said it originated in South Africa. And then the only other countries that picked up the surname was the Netherlands, the UK, America, and Australia. But I think we're going to continue doing some research to figure out um, whether we've got the original spelling of the surname or kind of where the changes happened. But I do think that search is going to take us a while. Yes. I think that in combination with our DNA test would kind of give us a better feel of where my heritage is. So like the spelling of surnames is such a funny thing because I think so many South African Indians actually have different spellings of surnames. And, you know, when we listen back to the story, it's largely because when your name was registered upon arrival at the docks, it was based on, you know, who you got as that officer that was writing down those names. And they were all English and everybody kind of went on what they heard and not necessarily stay true to the spelling. And I guess, you know, our Indian forefathers didn't know any better either. Yeah, so... We also did the search for your surname, or at least your family's surname. Do you want to expand on how that search went? Yeah, so that search is a little bit complicated, because as a family, we're known as the Pullians. But like my maiden surname, because my mother kept her maiden surname, um, as well as between my aunties and uncles, we, we have there's a different family name that runs there. Yeah. So it's Nadeson and it's Pullian. Nadeson is actually my grandfather's first name. And Pullian was his surname. And when I had asked the family as to, like, why on earth do you have different surnames? Because with the two uncles I've got, one is Pullian and one is Nadeson. And my one uncle explained to me that when a child was born, they would take the child to get registered. And upon doing that, he would be asked for father's name. So naturally, they would give the father's first name. But what they meant at the offices was, what is the surname? What is the family's name? The father's family's name. And Pullian was never given. So all children were registered as Nadesan, as their last name. And as they grew up, some of them decided to change to Pullian and some kept it as Nadesan. Okay. So we obviously couldn't find Nadesan. Well, we did actually find a few Nadesans in the search. But what about the Pullian name? Because that would only link back yeah so the Nadeasons that we did find we we found quite a few some of them with different spellings as well the one thing I can be sure of is that because of that situation it is guaranteed that any Nadeasons that I don't already know I am definitely not related to and when it came to the Pullian surname we also did a search back and though we found many Pullians the variation of spelling is what changed. Yeah, so we found a few different spellings yeah. that could possibly be Pullian. Or alternate surnames, if I could call it that, that it could be linked back to. But I know some people in my family have like really done the search and I'm waiting to get all that data and look further into it. But this would be something really cool to map out to see where the change happened and what our surnames were actually supposed to be. Yes, of course. Let's talk about some of your childhood memories. Do you have any childhood memories that stick out for you? Yes, I do have a few memories that stick out as part of my core memories from childhood. And I think one that has been told to me many times that 
it's become a memory and that is like the first memory of myself which is partly memory and partly story which was that we grew up well i grew up in durban for the first two years of my life in a flat which was above a shop and this flat was three kind of interconnected flats with one shared main entrance and three sub entrances between us and what the families would do would be to close the main entrance to the public and leave our individual doors open this was my granny and her sister's house their brother was next door and my mother's best friend was also across from exactly where our flat was the same best friend who is now your godmother the same best friend that's my mom that's my godmother what i've been told is that my favorite thing to do after i had a bath before my mother could put clothes on me was to run between all the flats and go visit everyone while naked <laughs> talk about entertainment <laughs> yes that was my pastime that was kept me entertained was just running around naked visiting people <laughs> making everyone happy so that is what i can remember and probably as much as i can remember from living in durban when we moved up to johannesburg the one thing that sticks out for me is that we spent every weekend almost at the carousel casino and my grandfather was a gambler and he got invited to the casino quite often to go and spend his money and as part of that we got free rooms and complimentary meals and stuff so every weekend we would be at the casino and i would be allowed to play as much games in the arcade as i could my grandfather would leave money for me in the hotel safe which i could go back to and exchange for tokens and play more games until i couldn't game anymore and as part of this experience at the age of 7 or 8 i was even allowed into the casino floor even being under age because he was so well known there that the security would just let me through so i also remember that in grade 1 and 2 the teachers would ask us you know to describe your weekend and my answer almost every weekend would be the same yeah we went back to the carousel casino and a lot of my friends in grade 1 and 2 couldn't relate to my experience of playing games every weekend especially at that age especially at that age being so young in in a casino because this was also before carnival city became a thing and before arcades actually became such a big thing yeah i think this was still a time where gambling was still a bit taboo and the carousel casino was a bit out of johannesburg for that reason and what about during the holidays our holidays were mostly spent traveling to peter marisburg or durban and that's because our family was pretty much the only family in our area which was indian which also meant that we left a lot of our relatives back in peter marisburg and durban so for my mother and my granny and everyone else in our family to see our relatives it would mean spending our holidays in peter marisburg durban for me this was great because i actually enjoyed spending time with my cousins so to be going on holiday every year twice a year actually to these places was a lot of fun i can't imagine yes it was 
So what about you and your core memories? I think like you, I can also relate to spending a lot of my holidays in Durban, especially after my sister moved down to study because she was my best friend here, even though we're 10 years apart. I spent all my time with her until the age of eight and then she moved. So I would take every opportunity, you know, to go down to Durban for long weekends and school holidays, any long holiday, short holiday or whatever it was. And I would spend a lot of my time there. My cousins, however, were a lot older than me. So I never really got to spend time with them. But I did make friends when my granny stayed in Havenside Shopping Center in Unit 1 because they had a library downstairs and I obviously like to read as a child. So I would spend a lot of my time in that library reading books and then the kids who would go there to play because they had a room at the back I made friends with them and you know there's some people I even managed to connect with now but those were definitely some of like my more fun moments was the time I spent in Havenside Shopping Center specifically when my granny stayed there so that was definitely a fun time for me and I think another core memory that you know really sticks out in relation to being an Indian child, is that when I was quite young, like probably at the age of about six, maybe even a bit before that, my mother got me into modeling. And I ended up modeling for Edgar's. And back then, as we all know, Edgar's was quite a big deal. It was the place to shop. And it was really cool because there weren't a lot of kids of color who were modeling with me. It was really the early phases of that. But I think looking back, I didn't realize back then, obviously, what a big deal it was to walk into an Edgar's store and see my picture on the wall. Whereas my mother and my sister were super excited about it. And, you know, to see my pictures in magazines and like flyers and stuff like that, that was all a big deal. Now looking back, I can understand that at that time, it was really a big deal because it was actual proof of how the world was changing and becoming more diverse. Okay, that's quite interesting. And how do you think these memories like translate to you as an adult now, being your core memories from young? How does that... What impact did it have on your life? The modeling at the time, I don't think I realized how much of confidence it gave me Because if I compare myself to other kids my age and my sister, you know, maybe it's part personality, but I think it definitely did play a role to how confident I became. And I think I still am. While I am still a little shy, but it helped me just be a little bit more comfortable in the spotlight. And being in learning and development that I was and actually facilitating training, that really became a core skill that I needed (laughs) yeah it gave you the ability to have the focus and attention on you without feeling the embarrassed side or shy side yeah I mean the nerves never went away but that's okay Uh, but I, I think I was able to kind of hide it quite well and I think just in terms of you know my other core memory spending all that time in Durban I think that probably makes me feel very connected to the rest of my family because everybody else grew up in Durban whereas I didn't so I have the very few memories I have of Durban and what life was like then and I I hold on to that with a lot of love. It's quite interesting to like realize those core memories that you look back on and can pick out 
is the ones that shape you and affect you. And that's, you know, it comes from being an Indian growing up in South Africa. Like for me, I can tell you now, um, well, I don't need to tell you that I still play games constantly. It's part of who I am. But I think I took a little bit of a different route from the visiting family in Durban, where for me, it lent into my introverted nature where I could expend that energy once or twice a year being around people. And then the rest of the year just being my close family, being my mother, my granny and my sisters. Well, now that you mentioned your introverted nature, does that mean that by default you were quite nerdy and academic? I don't know if it's by default or by my mother's backhand, (laughs) but uh, my mother was quite strict when it came to academics. I think, as I briefly mentioned earlier, my family was the first non-white family in the area which meant I was the first non-white and specifically Indian person at my school. And for this reason, I was under a magnifying glass. So my mother never wanted me to drop the ball. And we're talking here like preschool, primary school. I think it was preschool. I don't entirely know. I've been told the story that I was made to write an exam to get into school to see that I was competent and able to keep up with the rest of the white kids. So in preparation for school, my mother would make me learn to write my name, my address, my phone number, and do basic addition and subtraction way before I even got to school. And this led to a really disappointing realization when I got there, and all we did was play. (laughs) And color. And color. And play with Play-Doh. And some kids ate the Play-Doh. But you were too smart. You didn't do that. No. Um, Did you even touch the Play-Doh? No, I don't like to feel wet. The The Play-Doh is not wet. (laughs) Play-Doh has got a wet feeling to it. Oh, boy. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I'm still fussy with eating, so I would never eat Play-Doh. That is true. So you, you were basically just too advanced for your time. Yes. I I would say for that specific time, I was too advanced. And then my mother kept up with it. So she made sure my handwriting would always be neat. By... How did she do that? <laughs> do tell. So my mother would ensure that my handwriting was always neat by inspecting my homework. So my mother made sure that my handwriting was neat by checking my homework daily. And if she had found that my handwriting was untidy or that I had scratched out too many words or numbers to make it... Or whatever she was unhappy with. Whatever she was unhappy with. if I Even if I had stuck a page or a picture incorrectly, she would tear up my entire book. She actually bought extra stationery for this reason, and she would make me rewrite everything from the beginning of the year to whichever date she tore it up. Then she would reinspect it. And if there was stuff that needed to be marked, I would have to either remark it according to the scraps of paper that I could find or go and ask the teacher and explain why my books were torn up. Well, it wasn't all a bad thing because you have really pretty handwriting. I have okay handwriting. No, no, it's very pretty. I mean, if anybody had to look at our handwriting, they would think I was the boy in this. Yeah, that's true. Not even ashamed. Yeah. So my mother was kind of strict when it came to academics. I think for good reason. She just didn't want 
any questions around whether I was worthy of being there. But I also, in my head, always just assumed Indian kids were held to a higher standard. Was that the case for you? Were you also held to a strict, high academic standard? I don't think so. Uh, I think my sister was. I think my sister was. She had a lot of pressure to do well, be a straight-A student. You know, she was head girl, all those nice things. For me, my sister did a lot of work with me. She helped me do that prep work for school. That was kind of our way of bonding. So she would teach me so many things that I knew before even getting to grade one, including writing and reading and general knowledge, that kind of thing. But when it came to like my mom being strict, she was just strict in the sense that when it came time for your marks, it needed to show that you were doing your work. But she never really sat and forced me to like do homework and check homework or anything like that. She always just trusted that I would do it. And that's probably because I liked to do schoolwork. So your mom wasn't the academic strict, but she was behavioral strict. Yeah, like I knew if, if my marks weren't right, then like if she was disappointed in anything, I was going to catch it. I knew I was going to catch it. So I didn't always take the chance, especially primary school. And I think I got very excited with where I was and I understood where I was because I did grade one and grade two in one year. Um, I had a double promotion. And then when I when we changed schools and I went to grade four, that's where the school had a conversation with her and said, because of my age, they wanted to hold me back a year. And she fought it and said, no, you know, give her a chance. If she doesn't prove that she can handle the work, then sure, put her back. But because I was able to not only keep up, but exceed the expectations, I was quite proud of myself for doing that. And I liked that sense of accomplishment. So I just, especially in primary school, just focused on exceeding expectations as far as I could. High school is a different story, but we'll get to that. Uh, but yeah, in, in terms of being strict, my mom was never one to be overbearing or force me to do well. It's something that I actually just ended up doing on my own. And I had my sister as a role model uh, back then. She still is now. So, yeah. So your sister and you have a 10-year age gap. Yes. And your mom was very strict on your behavior and being disciplined and that kind of thing, not really the academic overachieving. How did that affect your relationship with your sister? Oh, I think... Till today, it still affects us a little bit because with that age gap, how it turned out to be was more that my mother was more motherly towards my sister and was very strict on her. And my sister, in turn, was very motherly and strict to me. And that's just how it's always been. I think I was more scared of my sister than I was of my mother with certain things because I think my sister held me to a higher standard. Whereas my mother held me to my sister's standard, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So did you? Did your sister ever take the flack for you for something that you did? Or did she ever cover up for you when you were doing something you weren't supposed to? Yes, she did. But it was under duress. So you forced her to do it. I definitely forced her to do it. Don't let this 10-year <laughs> age gap fool you. When I was in grade 3, my sister was in matric. Obviously, with my mother being as strict as she was, my sister wasn't allowed to have any friends over or do anything other than study because she had to produce distinctions. 
and distinctions only. There was no room for anything else. So I had a deal with her. The deal was she would be allowed to have friends over if I was allowed to stop and pick mulberries every day and come home late and she wasn't going to tell my mother. She agreed to this deal and then I just kept adding on to it. It eventually got to a point where I was coming home late and then as soon as I came home, whether her friends were there or not, she would have to run me a bath, a bubble bath. And once I was inside, she'd have to like make me a nice cheese and tomato and lettuce sandwich and cut off the crusts and cut it into my favorite triangles and bring it to me with a really ice cold glass of Coke. Yeah, so you being bossy aside, because <laughs> um, we can all believe that. Yep. I, I just don't know how you got away with it because I think every Indian kid at some point went around picking mulberries and got it all over their face and hands and nails and clothes and those stains never come out. So we all got caught. But have you met me? I'm quite OCD. Oh, that's true. That's true. There was no way there were going to be stains, not even on my fingers. I remember one day I got caught and got the biggest hiding of my life for coming. I, I think I had a white shirt on as well. And we went through the bushes and my cousin was telling me, oh, we're going to go pick mulberries. And this was in Durban and me being the nerdy sit behind the place, not PlayStation, Sega, uh, at home kid. I was like, okay, cool. I don't know what this thing is about. We're just going to go pick these mulberries. And I went and ate them with him. And, and your shirt ate them too. Shirt came back with mulberries and blackjacks and everything stuck to me. And yeah, my mother gave me a big hiding that night. Because also we were in Durban. I didn't have spare clothes. <laughs> and those stains are so hard to get rid of. Yeah, especially when you're not in your own house to go and put bleach and whatever. Everything else. Ugh, rookie error. Rookie, rookie error. We learn. Maybe our kids will find a mulberry bush here or some berry bush here. I hope so. I feel like it's a rital passage. <laughs> so talking about these experiences as Indian kids, is there any point in your childhood or maybe even after that where being Indian became something of significance to you, where you maybe noticed it or it stood out in any way? I think the significant part of me being Indian or me finding it as a thing was a very late realization that came much uh, later but in my early days I remember being a bit confused as to why I was different and why my family operated differently to my best friend's family so to give some context my friend from preschool stayed around the corner from my mother's house so we were very close he came to visit quite often I went to his house quite often and we kind of just changed houses as we wanted to. And I would notice they did stuff a little bit differently than we did. He would not eat pork, being Jewish, and we, my grandfather and uh, granny would fast on a Monday, which their family didn't do. So it was kind of like, why is there such a big difference? But I never put it down to being Indian. It was just a notice that these people do things differently from my family. So there was a realization that we're different, but not a realization as to why. So you didn't realize that it was because you were culturally different? Did you just think at that age that different houses did different things? Exactly that. I just thought that was the difference, was 
oh, maybe that's what's passed down through their family and what's passed down through our family is totally different. I think later on in life, especially when it came time to the opposite sex and getting attracted to girls, that's when I started to realize a, b- a bit more about me being Indian. And that typically came as to seeing white girls dating white guys and black girls dating black guys. And there wasn't much of a mix back then. And me being at the time the first Indian person in the school and later on one of probably five or six, it was like, well, I guess that's my only options because I'm Indian. So yeah, that was me coming to a realization that I was Indian and what it meant. Not in total though, that still baffles me because it's quite a hard thing to define for me. But for you, when did you get to that point of, I am an Indian? I think that's something that was always in me because we were still very closely tied to religion and everything that we did culturally and superstitions, you know, all these typical things that Indian people are known for is like what we did. I think I noticed that I was Indian by like race. I noticed the race thing when I was in the later years of primary school because I was in a school where there were like multiple races. So we had white kids, colored kids, black kids, and there were a handful of Indian kids. But it never stuck out to me as being something negative. There was a couple of teasing, you know, every here and there, and people would be like, oh, curry this. And yeah, you know, I don't know why the curry thing was such a big thing because those same people now die for it. But. <laughs> You know, you just triggered something for me as well. Like, I remember, uh, so there was three Indian boys in my primary school. And one of them was called, the teacher actually called him Curry. And I only remember that now when you said it. Yeah, those are just like some weird uh, kind of ways that we were defined. But I think that was also coming from a generation that would, like, they were taught these things. So I suppose just one of the things that happened when change happens But there was nothing really big or major or anything else. But I've always felt Indian. Okay, so very different from me. Yeah. I've had conflict religiously, but never with how I identify. I've always identified as Indian. I think back then as a kid, I probably identified stronger as Indian than I did South African. But as an adult and in my very early adult years, I have swapped it around. I identify stronger as a South African than I do as an Indian. But my full identity is that of a South African Indian. Yeah, I think for me, it was, I only embraced being an Indian. Typically, I think it was in university when, and that was my second crack at first year university. Um. (laughs) where my friends were all Indian. And from that, I learned more about the Indian culture at university stage. Which is completely understandable, because in your situation, you weren't surrounded by other Indian people. You didn't have that exposure until that point. No. So for me, I grew up in a predominantly Jewish area and went to Jewish schools. And even up until the time I finished matric, the school was, I think, 55 or 60% Jewish. Yeah, so that would be hard to find anybody that you relate to, which is why now you're the perfect coconut. Yes. I think even the the Indian kids that went to my primary school and high school were also coconuts because we had to be. Yeah. Well, I think this was a great introduction. 
and I hope our listeners feel like they know you a little bit better. We have a lot to talk about in future episodes, so I hope you're ready for it. I'm ready and excited. Great. So until those future episodes, we will be saying... Goodbye for now. And until our next episode, shop sweet and aware. Lots of love.